Hi, I'm Louise Mowbray, founder of Mowbray by Design and your host. Welcome to Lift, my conscious leadership podcast, Lead into the Future, today. I'm on a mission to bring you powerful insights and very human stories from leaders and entrepreneurs who are each, in their own way, contributing something noteworthy to shaping our world of work. Conscious conversations with people who are being conscious leaders and doing conscious business. My aim is to give you a personal lift to inspire you in your day-to-day business life. Make sure you subscribe now to never miss an episode. Today I'm talking to Matthew Coquillard of Mama Money, Africa's first completely cashless money transfer system. Matt and his business partner Rafael Grozhnovsky originally met in Mozambique and subsequently formulated their business plans whilst traveling through Africa in a big yellow school bus. Mama Money is fundamentally a socially conscious fintech business with a clear purpose of social upliftment through financial inclusion. The company uses technological advances in financial software, social media, and mobile phones to create an entirely new way for people to send money, and as a result, they're able to drastically reduce remittance costs so that more money arrives in the pockets of the people who really need it. Moving money within Africa is a huge challenge. The multi-billion dollar industry is fraught with difficulties, not least the exorbitant costs. According to recent World Bank reports, Remittances to Africa are the most expensive in the world, hovering at around 9.4%. Mama Money manages to bring those fees down to a workable 5%. I wanted to talk to Matt about why he and Raphael started the business, their journey so far, and how Mama Money is touching the lives and affecting the wallets of millions of people across Africa and beyond. So, Matt, tell me all about Mama Money. How did this start for you personally? So Mama Money is the world's first social business international money transfer operator. So the idea came um, while backpacking uh, across Africa. I was actually hitchhiking from Cape Town to Cairo, and and along the way I met um, my now business partner, um, who was originally from Germany, and he was working for the UN for the World Food Program. He was based in Rwanda. And he bought a big yellow... German Mercedes bus and he converted it into uh, a mobile home and he drove from Rwanda to Africa Bern um, in Cape Town and on his way back to Rwanda we met on the beach in Tofu in Mozambique and he offered me a ride which I couldn't refuse and and we spent a month and a half uh, driving from Mozambique to his house in Kigali in Rwanda and I suppose along the way we spoke a lot about um, ideas for businesses and uh, you know, just got to know each other, I suppose, on a trip like that where you're driving for eight hours a day. Uh, you know, you get to know someone pretty well. And, and you know, so obviously we, we, we hit it off um, very well. And, and I think a year later after that trip, I was in, in Rome and he was in Rome uh, working at the, um, the WHO head office. And, and we just connected and started talking about, you know, what's a great idea for a business that has a massive social impact. And, you know, the World Food Program, the UN always obviously saw that remittances, international money transfers going into food insecure camps or to really poor countries, how much of an impact an extra one or two dollars would have on the food security of those people receiving the money. And we then looked at South Africa 
Um, it's a massive migrant, uh, has a massive migrant population, but also had the most expensive fees in the world, uh, $100, $200 remittances. So we um, then obviously decided, okay, well, this is a problem that we wanted to, to tackle. Uh, and for us, it was very important that we, we started a business that wasn't selling shoes on the internet um, that actually <laughs> right. had a purpose. So that was, you know, that was important for us. And, and uh, we then decided to launch Mama Money in South Africa and tackle this, these high costs of remittances and see if we can reduce the, the fee and make it more efficient for people to send money home. Well, Matt, I'm hearing purpose loud and clear from you. Just a bit of background there. Do either of you have a financial background? So none of us have a financial background. Uh, my um, business partner, Raphael, is, a, is an aid worker by heart. Uh, he's a, he's a, he studied law in, at Durham in, in the UK. Um, and he's just one of these really big ideas guys who says, if he says, let's go start a business in Costa Rica and we're going to do X, Y, and Z, then I would, I would be there in a heartbeat because he's just one of these people that has vision and big ideas. My background is more uh, in business. So I've always been involved in, in management, uh, in sales, in human resources. I've been a general manager for an online voucher company um, before. Um, I, I didn't go to university, so all of my career has been through learning and through, um, you know, just through what I've done and, and, and actual work experience. And I think, you know, not having a financial background for both of us really helped us to come into the space and, and, and look at things completely differently to someone who is trained, uh, you know, in the, uh, you know in, in the, with a financial background. I mean, I suppose people that I did know from financial background said to me, you're crazy, that's never going to work. <laughs> Eat you up and, you know, you, you just don't stand a chance. And I suppose that ignorance was a bit of bliss because if we had known um, how difficult it is in the beginning, we probably wouldn't have had a crack at it. But because we didn't and we, were, we had a lot of purpose, we did have a crack and I'm obviously very glad that, that we did. And those same people that said it was a bad idea now want to very badly invest in our business. So that's quite... <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's amazing how sometimes that kind of um, beginner's luck in a way or just that driven purpose is enough to, and of course, I'm sure that you've found people along route who you need to support you in terms of, of the financial side or, or certainly regula regulatory side. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, you, you have to find those people. Um, but it's amazing how you can attract the right people by, you know, what your message is from the beginning that you know, we want to come in and we want to make it less expensive. And, uh, you know, we want to create a business that's profit minimizing, that is sustainable um, by itself. But, um, you know, it's not trying to maximize profits. And, and, you know, you find people along the way that uh, share that ideology, whether it's an investor uh, or someone from the regulatory side of things who's really interested in what you're doing. And you make those, those connections along the way, and, and that's obviously what ultimately drives things forward. Yeah, absolutely. Like attracts like. And profit with purpose, of course, is the, the backbone of conscious organizations and certainly conscious leaders driving conscious business. We had a bit of a brief chat before we started this, and I asked you um, what your... If I said conscious leaders driving conscious business, what does that actually mean to you? I think for a, for a starter, you know, there's, there's many different ways um, of applying 
your your skill sets and your abilities in in the workplace. Um, for 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 myself and for for us as a company, it was important that we had a business that actually had an impact. It was, um, you know, not about making money in a in a, a, a in an online startup business and then you know then becoming a, a, a you know getting into um, into philanthropy after that, um, you know, which is which is one way people um, do it. Um, so for us, it was important that the that the business actually made a difference to its customers, um, and and then on top of that, we we have a very strong um, belief in obviously giving back to the communities that we we service because we support migrant communities, and we help them to send the money home. So we have that benefit in reducing the fees, but then on top of that, we're also um, plowing. Uh, I'll, I suppose our time and, and money back into um, into additional projects that can uplift those communities. Fantastic, Matt. Um, it's it's really inspirational listening to you. I want to learn a little bit more about um, the people who work for Mama Money because I, from what I understand, they're migrant workers themselves, and um, the lives that you've touched in these what is it six seven years. Will be five years that will be operational uh, in March 2020, um, and we were five in 2013. Yeah, so the people, uh, I suppose in the beginning it was quite interesting because I was the only South African um, in a South African based business. Um, so we had, you know, an initial market that we approached was Zimbabwe. Uh, South Africa has the highest uh, amount of Zimbabweans anywhere in the world. I think there's a documented 2.2 million Zimbabweans here and undocumented probably a little bit more. Um, and so it was an obvious start for us. And we then went about recruiting um, Zimbabweans in South Africa who could then obviously help us to, to grow the business. And as the company has grown and we've now sending to 17 different countries in Africa and in Asia, so we've diversified our team and made sure that we have a representative um, you know, our, our team is representative of our customer base. It's, it's really been uh, important for us because, you know, those insights into the different corridors that we service, and they're all so different. You cannot copy-paste. Um, and, you know, having people here that have the first-hand knowledge and understand it has been you know, really important for us in terms of how we've grown. And so we've always kind of really pushed to, you know, have a team that represents our customers. And community, Matt, that seems to, you know, shout loud and clear from all that you do. You mentioned, um, you touched on that a little bit earlier, but in what ways is this having an impact in the communities that you serve? Well, I think that, you know, when we opened up a new corridor, um, as an example, uh, when we launched into Ghana, we, we took our time to really understand who the community um, influencers and leaders were um, in the Ghanaian space in South Africa. So we went to the embassy, uh, met the consulate general, um, met organizers of events such as Ghana Excellency Awards and Ghana festivals uh, and soccer events and things like that. And, and that was really how we were able to, you know, start to get the word out to customers. And I think you know, in, in our space, in financial services um, and remittances, trust is like it's it's the most important thing. Um, so we had to obviously through um, you know through networking get the trust of those people who then obviously we were able to get the, the, the trust of the of the general community. 
And that's really how we were able to launch and grow um, so successfully and so quickly in, in these corridors. And then, um, you know, what was very obvious to us was, wow, we've, you know, we've, we've been given so much from these customers um, through, you know, through them using our service. We need to obviously keep reinvesting back in that relationship. Um, so finding initiatives, uh, you know, whether it's helping students who need help to, to study, um, you know, a degree at university, um, whether it's a, a, a Ghanaian hair salon, uh, that needs a little bit of a makeover and help in terms of marketing. Those are you know, those are the kind of things that we really love to do. Um, and I suppose in a way it has a double benefit because we're you know we're we're obviously benefiting from that business. But it just makes so much sense to us that we keep you know, reinvesting in that in that relationship with and and finding other things that we can do that help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Matt, tell me about the issue about sending money. Why is why is South Africa and Africa such an expensive place to spend send money to? What's how did that all come about? Yes. Yeah, so there's a few things. I think number one, if I look at South Africa specifically from a regulatory point of view, it was extremely difficult um, to be able to start a business here uh, because they, we have a we have a um, South African Reserve Bank. Um, which is very regulated, uh, exchange control, unlike in the UK, is still very, um, very much alive and, and, and well. Yeah, so there was a barrier to entry. Um, so we had um, existing players like Western Union and MoneyGram, um, who had partnered with banks and controlled the market and were charging between 15 and 20 percent uh, for remittance. And the global average is around 7 percent, so way out. And yeah. and also antiquated, you know, not using any technology, you know, branch to branch, uh, bricks and mortar, uh, you can understand the, you know, the inefficiencies there. And we've got mobile phones and we've got mobile money and we've got all this technology, but there was no incentive to use it because it was very anti-competitive. Uh, when we went along and we went to the Reserve Bank and we said, you know, we want to charge 5%, uh, you know, and we want to make it easier, um, you know, they really bought into that story and were also under pressure from the World Bank to reduce the cost and, and find ways to do it. So they introduced a, a, a license, a new license category, which was specific for businesses that wanted to do cross-border remittances. We applied for the license, went through an 18-month process um, and were awarded with our, with our license. So um, it was, you know, it was a very exciting experience. It was hard, but at the same time, very uh, rewarding at the end to get issued the license and to start to start trading. So I think that's one of the issues. The other thing is that it's predominantly cash. Um, you know, in in Africa and cash has a has a cost associated with it. You know, in the first world, um, transactions are done digitally uh, on the on the on the whole. And um, where yeah, there's um, you know there's a cash component um, that uh, adds to the cost. So we had to find a way to get away from bricks and mortar. We have an app. And we also use USSD, which means that customers with a basic Nokia phone can still access our platform with no airtime um, and, and be able to create orders and send money home. And so we had to kind of, uh, you know, just not, not um, reinvent the wheel, but just kind of look at different ways of connecting the dots. Yeah, so, so basically needs must. How do we solve as and when the issues came along and arose? Finding creative ways to to get through that, and Matt, you've got. Um, I see that you've got a UK license as well. Tell me about the expansion of Mama Money. Yeah, so I mean, 
we were always had a plan. I mean, all entrepreneurs think that they're gonna they're gonna take this their business global. I, I haven't met one yet who doesn't want yeah. to do that. So it was always a, a plan that we were going to look at other markets outside of South Africa. We have a UK money transfer license, and um, you know, there's obviously you know if you look at the migration over the over the last few years into Europe, um, obviously it's a very topical subject, and you know you see. As an example, Germany took you know a million migrants I think two years ago, and those um, you know those um, people are all going to become economic citizens. They're going to start sending money home to their country. So it's really interesting for us. So our plan uh, was to obviously cement ourselves into the South African market, which we which we're still doing and growing very quickly. Um, but we we have our eye on um, on a launch next year um, in, in on mainland Europe. So we'll be based in Amsterdam. We, we will get a license from the Dutch regulator. You know, uh, Brexit has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works because you, you used to be able to passport your license from the UK into Europe. Um, so obviously now with, uh, with the Brexit uncertainty, we don't know if we, need a, uh, if we can do that anymore. So we're just going to play it safe and, and get a license uh, uh, in Europe. And you know, I think for us, it's, we can base our operations here um, in South Africa and um, you know, a lot of the countries that we currently send to are applicable from Europe. So, you know, to Ghana, to Nigeria, to Kenya, to Uganda. Um, so we already have a lot of the connections um, in place. And it would just really be about obviously going into a different market and how to, how to acquire customers in Europe. And how do you balance um, your growth um, with funding and all of the, you know, the, the typical stop-start of a high-growth organization that is quite aggressive in terms of footprint? Yeah, with great difficulty. Uh, we, so we, we were lucky enough, um, I suppose, to, to find um, an investor. So in the beginning, if I take a step back, we, we self-funded the business. So we bootstrapped and we self-funded and, and we really, with a very little budget, we made every, everything count and we really sweated what little we had. Um, and that was something that I think has put us in good stead going forward because um, it's sometimes very dangerous to get a lot of money up front and you don't know what you're doing and you can, you can spend a lot of money and waste a lot of money and give away a lot of equity um, and not really have too much to show for it. So I'm, I'm very grateful that we went that, that route, sometimes maybe a little bit harder in the beginning. And when after three years, we decided, okay, great, listen, we, you know, we've got something really awesome yeah we can really grow it and uh, we need to find an investment partner who can support us and we actually spent 12 months um going through that process of speaking to vcs and speaking to strategic partners and banks and and eventually we settled on on the person that we met in our first meeting um who comes from a family office a family house um, who really shared our, our kind of ideology around the social business and around the impact aspect of it and what we wanted to do. And that has been absolutely um, golden for us because if we had taken VC money, um, obviously there would be other sorts of pressures and, um, that we would have to deal with and certain growth targets that we would have to achieve. Um, I think we've actually out-achieved what those targets would have been, but without having that additional pressure, I think it just creates 
And, you know, what I say to people is that the, the environment that we have here today after five years is exactly the same that we had in the beginning. There's no change in agenda uh, or change in kind of what is, you know, what is a priority. It's, it's all kind of been organic and the same. Obviously, we just do it now at a, at a bigger scale. It's really interesting, actually. I, I used to own an executive search business in London, purely focused on startups, working with a lot of the investment community, various different types, various different forms. And of course, there's always a massive culture change, you know, even the difference of, you know, between 15 people and 25. There's often a very tangible, notable culture change within an organization. How have you managed to hold on to that? So... We started um, at the beginning of this year with about 30 full-time employees at, um, at our head office. We, today, we have 125. So we've, we've onboarded a, um, over 100 people, sorry, just, just under 100 people this year. And as the decision we took at the beginning of the year was that every single person that's going to start working here this year, whether they are um, an IT engineer or the HR department, um, or they're working in our kitchen because we provide lunch for our, our team every day. They have to meet either myself um, or our business or my business partner, Raf, and we have to meet them and do a cultural interview with them. So we were very hands-on on the recruitment side of things. I mean, it's obviously exhausting, a lot of a lot of interviews, but we felt that you know we had heard so many stories about companies growing so quickly and losing that culture or finding out that they've hired the wrong people and then they've had to really you know, have this toxicity that, that can happen. So we, we were very kind of adamant that we were going we're gonna, to um, do our best to, to not go down that route. And, you know, what we actually started doing was we would have like a bunch of five to ten people that were starting, uh, you know, in, a, in, the, in the following month. And what we started doing was actually going out for dinner with them before they started. So we'd organize a meetup. Um, somewhere around town, we would have a, you know, and just start that kind of onboarding process even before that that first day. So that when people were coming in, they already knew who this person was and that person was, and you know, they started getting a feeling for it. And 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 I think that really helps in that people were able to come in and already have a little bit of an idea of what the culture was like and and who the people were. So they were able to come in quite quickly. Um, because what was obviously important is that with all the new people coming, how does the, the roots of the culture keep going down? Um, so it was important that you know, any, any new people coming in um, were, um, you know, were quickly onboarded and passing that knowledge on. And then equally, the people that have been with us since the beginning who you know, created the culture, um, you know, we don't have, a, we don't have a, a high turnover of staff at all. We have... Uh, you know, very loyal team that have been here since the beginning. And those are kind of our, you know, our kind of custodians of our culture. And, and we treasure them and make sure that they're, um, that they're happy. And, you know, they then obviously help with the, the onboarding. And that thinking, that philosophy matters. Do you extend it to your entire stakeholder group as it's extended to suppliers and, um, Everybody else who has an impact on your business is that something that you you really focus on? Yes, we've you know we've always said that you know we value relationships long term above everything else. Um, so with suppliers that we started working with from the beginning is that we said, listen, you know, we don't really have a lot of money to pay you today, um, but you know we have this idea and it's a big one. And, uh, you know, if you help us out here and, you know, we can have a really long and meaningful relationship and the work that you do can also have an impact. And we found with, 
There's some of our tech suppliers who were making tech for banks and, and, and big retailers. They, their businesses didn't really have that, uh, that social impact and that connection to, 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 to a greater cause as much as ours did. And, you know, people really responded to that. They were like, wow, okay, cool. You know, this is maybe a bit of a passion project or we'll take a little bit of a hit, but, um, you know, we, you know, this is really great work and our teams will really get excited about it. And that was kind of infectious. And, you know, a lot of those suppliers have come with us, you know, along that journey. Some, sometimes we outgrow the, the size of the supplier, um, but we're still friends and they still come to our parties. So, uh, it has been something that we've applied to you know, all aspects of the business. So it it's almost makes me think of the you know, the African philosophy about around it takes a village. Yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So Matt, you've won all sorts of extraordinary accolades in the last year or so. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, we've, we've, we've won a couple of awards. I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the things that's, we decided right in the beginning was that we weren't going to go out and chase awards and we weren't going to, you know, go to all the conferences that we get invited to and, you know, really just, really just focus on the business and which we, which we, which we did. So yeah, it's great to get the acknowledgement, um, definitely, um, you know, for the, for the awards and the things that we have been doing. Um, we definitely are grateful and appreciative. Um, but our focus really does remain internally, um, you know, our team is growing very quickly and, you know, we need to, um, you know, we need to spend as much time here as possible um, so that it's sustainable growth over the, over the long term. So, Matt, how do you deal with fundraising and the valuation of your business? I believe that it's interesting that we, we definitely live in a society in a world where how much money a startup raises is, is really celebrated a, a lot more than a company that is sustainable um, in the long term. Um, then, so so it's, it's kind of this weird. You know, the, the more money you raise, the better you are. But you know, I've seen a lot of companies raise a lot of money and go out of business, and I've seen a lot of companies that don't raise a lot of of of, of money that are doing very well and that are succeeding, that are sustainable, that are making um, um, enough profits to to grow and survive. And you don't hear that too often. And I suppose it's, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to get enticed by someone walking in and saying, oh, this is amazing business. You guys are great. This is the evaluation. You look at your, at your business partners and you go, wow, this is, this is, this is incredible. Like, let's, let's do it. Um, and I would really advise people to, to, to give that a lot of thought because, you know, it's, it's a lot of ego um, and, and, you know, often it's, it's, for me, it's often around, well, it's mostly around the investor who's going to work best with you, that they might not give you the best evaluation, but in the long term, they're going to be the ones that are going to make sure that your, your actual company values realize your, and, and obviously your goal and your mission is realized. And in the long term, it's actually going to be better for you than a, than a short-term fix of, wow, look at this evaluation. Because with those high evaluations become serious terms, um, serious pressure it will potentially change the dynamics in your in your company and your company culture, not for the better, for the worse. Um, so you know, I, I really give that some some thought. And 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 first and foremost, choose an investor who is aligned with your values more than anything else. Yeah, I hear you. And Matt, tell me about a day in the life of Matt. <laughs> uh, it it varies. Um, I typically. T- 
tend to get up quite early, um, around 5.30. Um, I, yeah, I will start sending out um, some messages and emails and checking in uh, on the numbers of what happened on the previous day uh, and just setting the day up really in my mind and what we're going to, you know, what I want to do. There's obviously quite a lot of exercise in there. I, I, I will cancel a meeting um, because I need to go and exercise. So I definitely try and get that balance right. Um, and if there's no if there's no exercise in a day, then I will cancel the meeting and say let's let's postpone. I need to go climb, or I need to go run, or I need to go and play tennis. Uh, and then yeah, typically it's it's about you know coming into the office meetings, making sure that uh, you know that um, people are have the support that they need and that, that that they are getting everything they need to be successful. And and it's kind of a different mindset at the moment because we're trying to be less operational day-to-day in the you know in the small things that are happening and trying to be more strategic so it's kind of like that extraction phase where uh you know you're you're trying to pull yourself out and and, and i suppose what we said to ourselves is we need to move out of the way and we're lucky enough now to be able to hire very smart people who are exceptional at what they do and you know we don't want to be the bottleneck or the people getting in the way so it's it's a bit. Uh, it's a bit of a tricky phase because you're you're there, but you also want to give people the space that they can, um, you know, do what they need to do. So it's just about balancing that out, and then when something does go wrong, making sure you're there to jump in and, and support. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, Matt, I have to say your energy is wonderfully infectious. So I can really understand how you've built this business from from the way that you've described it to me. If you had to give somebody else some advice who's starting out, who's building a socially conscious business, um, what would you say? I think, I I suppose what is important is that you need to try and find a way to make it 100% of what you're doing. I know that that's not always possible for people, but I really believe that, you know, we took a big risk in the beginning by, uh, you know, investing all of our our money that we had in the world, our life savings and all of our time and saying, you know, we're not going to have this as a side hustle or a project that we're going to do on the side. If we're going to do it, we need to go at it 100%. And so what I would say to someone is that if that is an option for you and the risks are slightly higher, that is what I would recommend because it is uh, it is something that does require that you know to to um, to be a hundred percent focused. And I've seen so many people I've come across who have these ideas and these side things, but they're doing it in conjunction with something else, and they, you know they invariably fizzle out. Um, then I think it's you know it's 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 all about surrounding yourself with people who um, who share your values. It's obviously, exceptionally important. Um, having people who have um, different skill sets to yourself, I think often you'll find uh, you'll have some founders who are all very strong in sales or all very strong in tech. And you know, obviously, you need to have a you know, you need to have a, a, a full set of skills in order to 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 start an, a, a business and run a business. So find complementary skills with the same values, and then it's a hundred percent about the team. Uh, it's not about you; it's about the people that you employ. Um, and you know, if you if you have a great team, you can do you can do anything. Wonderful, great message. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate your time. It was it was really fabulous to talk to you, and I wish you all the best with Mama Money. Thank you, Louise. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Lift. I'm delighted you're here. If you'd like to connect with Matt, head over to my website, MowbrayByDesign.com 
forward slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes and relevant links. Whilst you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the show in iTunes or any of your favorite platforms to never miss an episode. And if you're loving Lyft, I'd really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply share with a friend who needs a Lyft. You can get in touch with me for coaching or speaking engagements by sending an email to louise at mowbraybydesign.com or click on the contact button on my site. Until next time, lift yourself, lift another.